The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Wednesday, the 6th of September. I'm Michael Bailey, and today we're asking... Is Mo Salah's Liverpool exit inevitable? Saudi are just, is just really, really keen to get him for strategic reasons, you know, that go beyond football. With Jorge Vilda sacked, what next for Spain's world champions? There is this sense of you cannot even begin to assess the problem facing Spain without Luis Rubial is gone. And what happened at Mason Greenwood's Getafe unveiling? The speaker encouraged the fans to shout the name of Greenwood. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. It was one of the big stories on deadline day of the summer transfer window, but that was also far from the end of the matter. Mohamed Salah remained at Liverpool despite Al-Itihad's bid of £150 million, which is more than $188 million. And although the transfer window closed for most of Europe on Friday, it remains open in Saudi Arabia until Thursday night. So there is still time for Al-Itihad to increase their offer, although Liverpool would be unable to sign a replacement until January. That's the present, but what of the future? Speaking exclusively to The Athletic, former Liverpool captain and now Al-Etifak midfielder Jordan Henderson declared that Salah would be a fantastic addition to any team, including joining him in Saudi Arabia. Football writer Simon Hughes is among the Liverpool experts at The Athletic and today he has written about the Saudi pursuit of Salah and he believes, whether it's now or in the near future, that move will happen. And I'm delighted to say Simon Hughes joins us now. Simon, what what makes Salah's departure inevitable? Given the amount of money that Saudi Arabia is offering to footballers, particularly to Mo Salah, I, I just think eventually that will tell. The wages that he's been offered is 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 astronomical. You know, when he signed a deal at Liverpool last year, it was it made him the highest paid player in the club's history. You know, this is four or five times that amount. And Saudi are just is just really, really keen to get him for for strategic reasons, you know, that go beyond football. I think it's fair to to say, you know, that throughout time Egypt has been regarded as sort of the kingmakers in the region, but Saudi Arabia at the moment is trying to is trying to change that perception. So eventually, uh, I suspect that this will pan out with Mohamed Salah leaving Liverpool. But I don't think it's going to be any time over the next couple of days because it will just leave Liverpool in in quite problematic situation, given that they've got no one to replace him in the squad, and then obviously they can't sign anybody because the transfer window is closed. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, there's obviously been so much talk about. Salah and his future in recent days and in this particular window. But could could you predict how you envisage it might pan out when that time might be that Salah does does leave? Well, he's got two years left on his contract at Liverpool. So, I mean, next summer will be crucial, if not before. Most players' sort of contract towards begin this, this far out. Obviously, Mohamed Salah's 31 now. I think the perception is that he, he could play for quite a bit longer. I suspect that Liverpool will be able to resist the offer for another year because he's so important to what happens on the pitch. I suspect that if Liverpool have had this offer earlier in the summer, 
they may be more receptive to it, given the amount of money on the table. But I, I do think that what has happened over the last couple of weeks sort of shows where Saudi is at at the moment. I think that there's obviously a lot of money behind it. But in terms of the thinking and the, the strategy and the structure of all these clubs, it's not comparable to what's happening in Europe. And I think if, if the strategy in Saudi was of the level of European clubs, perhaps he'd already been in Saudi Arabia. Salah is aware of his place in history as well. Uh, I think he is aware of the the pushback that he would get if if he were to leave at this moment and leave Liverpool in a lurch. It would it would taint what he's got he's done before. And I guess he only needs to look at sort of the, some of the problems Jordan Henderson is facing, having given an interview to the Athletic only yesterday. So I think he's aware of all these things, and there is a way out for him. And it, I also think that he also knows that his his the wages that are going to be offered to him aren't going to diminish over the course of one year. And just finally, Sai, Liverpool probably could have preempted this, possibly this summer. I don't know if that's fair or not, but they know that if the exit is coming, what is the best thing for them to do to plan it, do to prepare for it? Do they make signings in advance? How do they make sure that Liverpool are in the best situation? whether Salah stays for however long or, or is, is soon to leave? Well, as everybody knows, the, the, the sporting director position is in a bit of a flux at the moment. I think they've had a really good summer, actually, in terms of the recruitment at uh, the start of the season really well. I think what this does is gives them a, an opportunity to really think about how they want to replace him. It's going to be very hard because very few players in world football offer the yield that, that Salah produces for Liverpool. It's guaranteed 20 to 30 goals a season. And there are not many players in the world who play off the right, left-footed, who produce those numbers. So they might decide to try and do it slightly differently and not get a like-for-like replacement, if you like, because I don't think there is one. But I think it actually puts Liverpool in a really good position in, in some ways, because I think they'll know that they can cash in on Salah next summer and use a big chunk of that money on getting somebody who they can prepare for that eventuality, whilst also spending some of the part of this season maybe evaluating what they've got at their disposal already. To Spain now, where on Tuesday evening, 16 days after lifting the Women's World Cup, it was confirmed head coach and sporting director Jorge Vilda had been sacked after eight years with the senior team. Vilda's former assistant manager, Montse Tomé, has been named as his permanent successor. The news is the latest fallout following Spain's historic World Cup success, which had been preceded by 15 players publicly asking not to be called up until changes were made to the national setup. By the end of August, 81 players were refusing to play for Spain, while 11 members of coaching staff, including Tomé, had resigned, citing the unacceptable attitudes and actions of suspended Spanish Football Association president Luis Rubiales. Those were headlined by him kissing Captain Jenny Hermoso on the lips during the World Cup final medal ceremony. Meg Linehan is a senior football writer at The Athletic. Meg, how did it finally end for Vilda? So 16 days after Spain wins the Women's World Cup, Jorge Vilda is now out as the team's head coach, much to the contradiction of that tweet from the team that went pretty viral following their World Cup victory with Vilda in. Vilda is now out. Uh, What I do find fascinating about this decision is some of the language around his ouster. And to be fair, everyone is presenting this as he's been sacked, he's been fired. But when you actually read this press release and when you look at the graphic that they 
announced the decision with, it's Gracias Jorge, and it says the RFEF appreciates his work at the head of the national team and in his functions as the head of sports for the women's teams, as well as the successes achieved during his time crowned with the recent achievement of the World Cup. We value his impeccable personal and sporting conduct being a key piece in the notable growth of women's football in Spain. During his extensive period, Vilda has been a promoter of the values of respect and sportsmanship in football. And obviously, with all of the reporting around Spain, we do know that that is a debatable idea. But in the end, he is now gone as their head coach. And and no matter the language around it, obviously, there is enough information that him moving on might prove a little more difficult than he would otherwise like. Montse Tomé has taken his place. She is the first woman to manage the Spain team. Meg, is this a move that will be welcomed by all those who demand a change? She was one of the 11 members of the coaching staff who said that they would resign back on August 26th via that joint statement saying that they could no longer continue in their roles because of the, quote, unacceptable attitudes and actions of the RFEF chief. Now, note that is about Luis Rubiales and not necessarily about Jorge Vilda. So that's question number one, I think, with her coming into this new role. The second question is simply that, does she have the experience to take over a World Cup winning squad? And that is debatable. She came into Spain as an assistant coach back in 2018, and this is her only coaching role before taking over as the new head coach but she was obviously she did have a long career as a player in Spain so she will know the players she will know the team she will know the style of play but obviously there will be questions about her ability to take over this team and what she thought and what she made of Jorge Vilda's methods as head coach. The elephant in the room remains the suspended Spanish football president Meg what does all this mean for Luis Rubiales? Of course, none of the moves made on Tuesday actually get back to Luis Rubiales, the, the president of RFEF, the Spanish Federation. And he is still in this limbo where he is suspended by FIFA, is trying to continue on on the role. The government is taking action. But all of this, again, we need to have a much larger conversation than just this one man. And obviously, he presents an immediate challenge to the future of Spanish football, the men's national team releasing a statement that we believe had some outside influence in terms of how much they could say. But there is this sense of you cannot even begin to assess the problem facing Spain without Luis Rubiales gone. But as of Tuesday, still very much still the main issue that Spain has been dealing with, though they did issue a very lengthy apology on Tuesday for essentially everything that has happened since the World Cup final. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. We remain in Spain, where yesterday Manchester United forward Mason Greenwood was officially unveiled as a Getafe loan signing after joining La Liga on deadline day. United confirmed last month they had abandoned their plan, first made public by The Athletic, to bring the 21-year-old back into their first-team squad – That plan followed the UK's Crown Prosecution Service discontinuing its case against Greenwood for attempted rape, assault and coercive control. Greenwood denied all the alleged offences. Spanish football writer Guillermo Rai covered Greenwood's unveiling for The Athletic. Guillermo, what was said? 
Yes, uh, during the presentation of Mason Greenwood yesterday afternoon in Getafe, one of the last to speak was uh, Greenwood himself. He was in an interview conducted by the club to avoid uncomfortable questions from the press, and that is why some of the Spanish media did not attend the event, with a certain shyness, although encouraged by the chance in favor from the Getafe fans. Greenwood said that he had been for four or five months training, that he was ready to give everything for the club, and that he felt strong. After that, uh, Ruben Reyes, the club's sporting director, one of the architects of this signing, justified the operation. He said he was a player they had wanted for a long time and that it was a satisfaction to make people happy. When asked by The Athletic if they had investigated the court case in which Greenwood was accused of various charges, a club press officer vetted uh, the question by saying that they didn't want to create more controversy and that everything had been already said. And what about the general mood there, Guillet? Usually the parading of a new signing is something a club would take great pride in. How is this? Yes, in addition to this communication strategy from Getafe, from the beginning, the speaker encouraged the fans to shout the name of Greenwood. Everyone chanted excitedly. It was a very normal presentation, just like any other when a good player arrives. There were many children, some with banners asking for his jersey, others with uh, his jersey already. There was the player's family, including his partner. However, the most surprising thing is that when you ask the adults there who had gone as fans, many of them knew the, the background of, of the case, but still they were cheering and arguing that, that, that the charges against the player had been dropped. For today's football on television, your international fixtures begin here with the friendly between Malta and Gibraltar live on Viaplay Extra from 7pm in the UK or from 2pm Eastern on Fox Sports 2. Before that, Arsenal women begin their Champions League qualification campaign at home to Linkoping at 4pm in the UK or 11am Eastern. You can watch that via arsenal.com. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out theathletic.com during the day for all the latest developments in the world of football. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Michael Zimmerman and Abby Patterson and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If you're with us for the first time, hit that follow button on your podcast app and tell your friends about us too. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning and until then, have a great day. The Athletic.